0: Welcome, Happy New Year, and thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. We've heard these words often, Thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. How can we step into this new year and usher in more of this kingdom? Here's First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page with the very first sermon of 2022.
1: Hi again everyone. In case you missed it at the beginning, my name is Steve Page, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff and it's my honor to share the Word of God with you today. Now look, I don't know about you, but there's a big part of me that wants to get back to normal in 2022. I'm so tired of the mask, I'm tired of Zoom, I'm tired of sanitizers, and I'm definitely tired of doing sermons without seeing your faces. You know, I'm also tired not only because of the effects of COVID, but also from the tremendous polarization in our culture and in our churches. The stress and strain over the past two years has been immense. In fact, studies show that somewhere around 38% of pastors are seriously considered quitting, not just their particular job at their particular church, but quitting ministry altogether because of the strain that they feel. Now, by the way, when you look at pastors under the age of 45, that number jumps up to 46% of the pastors that want to leave the ministry for good. Now, I don't bring up these stats as a way to prepare you for my resignation, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to point out that everyone is feeling the strain of these crazy times. And there's a great desire in all of us to see things return to normal again. But you know, As I reflected on that desire, I had to ask myself this question, what exactly do I mean by normal? Or to put it another way, what exactly is normal for people who worship and live for a God who wants us to regularly include in our prayers this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we aware of how such a prayer is, by definition, disruptive to normal? The notion of normal feels good because our brains love normal. Our brains love to feel a sense of homeostasis. But normal too often means keeping things the way they have been. And as you're going to see today, that most definitely is not the message of Jesus. Today, as we all ponder the kinds of things we want to do and the kinds of people we want to be for 2020, I want us all to reflect a bit and perhaps even wrestle a bit about the constant call in our lives to move beyond normal, even as we grapple with so many challenges in our day. Now, first of all, we need to understand something that I've already alluded to. Jesus is not the Lord of normal. Now, why do I say that? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, the writer quotes Jesus in a way that summarizes his message, and it goes like this out of Mark chapter 1. Now, after John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, let me briefly draw out a few things from this gigantic summary statement. You'll see what I mean. Jesus came preaching about how the kingdom of God has now broken into human history in a new and revolutionary way through him. That is, this is what the good news and what the gospel is all about. Now, why do I use the words new and revolutionary here? Am I just trying to use hyperbole or whip up some enthusiasm in you guys? No, not at all. I'm using those words because that's what Jesus was communicating in his statement here. I want us to look at that simple little word, time, in Jesus' statement. The word for time in this passage is very significant. You see, in the original Greek of the New Testament, there were two words that we translate as time in English. Those words were chronos and kairos. Now, when we say, hey, what time is it? We're referring to chronos time, or what we might call tick-tock time. That is, one moment is not at all different from the next. It's just a marker on a clock or a marker on a calendar or what have you. Now, in contrast to that, the gospel writer here chooses the word kairos, which, mean, which refers to time, but, but in a sense of a defining moment of time whose importance is not to be missed. It's a time pregnant with significance because of what has happened on a particular day or in a particular moment. It's kind of like how we would look at the difference between July 4th and July 5th. See, July 5th is just another 24 our time period in July, that's Kronos, it's a Kronos day. But July 4th is not just another day, it is the day in July. It's not simply a day that marks another 24 hour period, but it marks the birth of a nation. July 4th is our Kairos moment. Bottom line, Kairos says that everything is going to be different from this day forward. So in these verses, Jesus is saying that with his coming, a kairos event has occurred. A world-altering event has come and will continue to evolve from this day forward. See, this is why repent is a big part of the message. Because it is the only appropriate thing to do in light of such a world shift. You see, repent means to rethink, realign, and rebuild everything in your life on the basis of Jesus. It means to rethink, realign, and rebuild your sense of normal for the rest of your life, because we inhabit a kingdom that is abnormal for this world. And you can be sure that if we're to rethink, realign, and rebuild everything in our life on the basis of Jesus and his world-altering message, it's going to bring change, constant change. Look, here's the great Christian reality. Growth implies change. If God's kingdom breaks into our world, it cannot and will not be the same. If if God's kingdom purposes breaks into our hearts, we can never be the same or look to stay the same in the process. Simply put, in the kingdom of God, a step towards normal is actually a step backwards. It's like driving the car with a constant view in the rear view mirror. But in the kingdom of God, what's in front of you is always better than what's behind you. Why? Because Jesus inaugurated and continually expands an entirely new world. This point is really sent home by theologian N.T. Wright when he says this. Jesus was not the sort of ordinary political king or rebel uh, rebel leader that, that some had supposed. He was the leader of a far larger, more radical revolution than anyone had ever supposed. He was inaugurating a whole new world, a new creation, a new way of being human. He was forging a way into a new cosmos, a new era, a form of existence, hinted at all along, but never before unveiled. See, the Lord's prayer and the Lord's message and the Lord's mission requires not just people who pray it or really believe in it, but people who will live into a new way of being human for the sake of God's kingdom, amen? Now, if I understand the scriptures correctly, that new world a new way of being human will always create and include at least two things, more shalom and more disciples. Let me drill down on that first feature of a new world and a new humanity. Why do I say more shalom? Well, several reasons. One, because of this. This is how Jesus described his mission. And because the Bible teaches that this is where the whole world is headed through the work of the Messiah. Let me explain this a little more fully. Near the very beginning stages of Jesus' ministry, he went and preached in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth to let the people know what he was launching into this world. So to make it all clear, Jesus intentionally chooses to read a segment from a mind-blowing passage that most Jews of his time long to see happen. So to summarize his ministry, he chooses to read from Isaiah 61. Let me give you the fuller text so you know what he was getting at. This is in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, and it goes like this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, that's Jerusalem, and to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they, those despairing and mourn-filled people and broken-hearted people, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His glory. It's a breathtaking vision and mission, to say the least. Now, notice the way Jesus wants to frame his mission. It's not simply, I've come so that you can have an easier way to get to heaven. It's not what he said. You see, folks, contrary to popular belief, the gospel is not just good news about us eventually arriving in heaven, but it is news about the arrival of the kingdom of God through Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, his message was a message for salvation, for eternal life. But as former philosopher and Christian Dallas Willard wrote, for us Christians, eternity is now in session. And I think part of of his point is this. The mode of life that we're going to live forever doesn't start when we die. Since we are already of the eternal kingdom of God, then we ought to live out the purposes and power and values and character of that kingdom now, here on earth, as it is in heaven. Now, to be sure, it will not be fully manifested here until Christ returns. But that does not mean his kingdom goals have been put on pause. You know, sometimes when I listen to Christians, it's like uh, somewhere in history, they think God put the whole kingdom expansion thing on pause. And then maybe after Armageddon and after blowing up and burning up everything, well, then he's going to hit the play button again. Brothers and sisters, don't believe that for a minute. The kingdom agenda is still on play. Now, this is where shalom comes in. If you were going to boil down all those actions of the messianic mission that we saw there in Isaiah 61 into one Hebrew word, that word would be shalom. You see, shalom in the Hebrew Bible is pregnant with meaning. Perhaps many of you already know that shalom is often translated as peace. And when we think of peace, we tend to think of it in terms of ceasing of strife or ceasing of war, something to that effect. Now, shalom does include that kind of meaning, but it is so much more. The most basic meaning of shalom is wholeness. It often refers to something that's complex with a lot of pieces, but which exists in a state of connectedness, wholeness, and well-being. So in this regard, shalom is the coming together of everything that has been fragmented away from God's intentions for wholeness and well-being in the world. This is why we speak of shalom as the integration, as the reuniting of all of life. God and humanity, me and you, us and them, the minorities and the majorities, the powerful and the powerless, the well-off and the needy. And this is also why the word shalom is often used to refer to human flourishing. For example, think of all those directives in the New Testament about how the people of God are to care for the sick and the poor and the orphan and the widows and even our enemies. See, all of these people, all of them, have been fragmented away from the connection and relationship vis-a-vis the human flourishing that God intended. So in loving and caring for them, we recreate God's shalom for their lives. See, this is why, for example, we offer groups like divorce care or grief share. We know that with divorce or the loss of a loved one, our souls get a little shredded and fragmented in the process, and it becomes difficult to flourish as a person. So we offer a community and a way of talking and a way of learning from each other that puts wholeness back into our souls. So in a nutshell, One way the Shalomic mission can be summarized is this. It's bringing the purposes and the power and the values and the character of God to bear on each other and our world so that it all becomes whole as God intended. In other words, it's bringing the purposes and the power and the values and the character of God to bear on the way we work, to bear on the way we relate to others, the way we care for creation the way we deal with and care for the marginalized, the hurting, and et cetera, et cetera. We want to help them turn ashes into beauty and their despair into praise. And this is why discipleship is so central to the mission of God. You see, discipleship is the primary strategy to bring shalom into every nook and cranny of our life, our relationships, and into our world. Now, first of all, you should know that the word disciple means learner. Now, when you think of learner, try not to picture it like a student in a class, you know, taking notes so they can pass an exam. That was, in the first century, it was different. A disciple didn't just seek to fill their minds with information from the master teacher, but out of a deep devotion to the teacher, they sought to become like the teacher in wisdom, in character, and in purpose. And in light of that, let me define what we mean by discipleship here at our church. One of our elders defines it like this. Discipleship is the relational process where we care for and equip one another to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, and to serve Jesus so that we and the world find salvation, wholeness, and healing in Jesus. I like this definition because it brings together the the great commandment and the great commission and that overarching narrative of shalom together. Now, let me also set the record straight and say that to be a Christian is to be a disciple. Those terms in the Bible are synonymous. Did you know that the word disciple occurs 268 times in the New Testament? And believe it or not, the word Christian is found only three times. In fact, the word Christian wasn't even introduced into Christian vernacular until as many as 12 years after the church began way back there in Acts 2. Let me show you what I mean from Acts 11, and it tells the story and it goes like this. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, who's the Apostle Paul, met with the church in Antioch and and taught a great number of people. Now listen, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now notice, it's not that Christians were eventually called disciples, but disciples are eventually called Christians first at Antioch. And I bring this out to make a very clear point. I want to dispel any misunderstanding that being a disciple is some later phase that we live into as Christians, or that being a disciple is for those who are really serious about Jesus. As as Christian writer and philosopher Dallas Willard put it, the disciple of Jesus is not the deluxe or heavy-duty model of the Christian. He or she stands on the pages of the New Testament as the first level of basic living in the kingdom of God. My point is, what the Bible teaches is this. The day you gave your life to Christ is the day that you became a disciple. Now, you may be a young disciple or an older disciple. You may be a novice disciple or a mature disciple. You may be an arrogant, anxious, and insecure disciple. Whatever. But when you come to Christ, you're nothing but a disciple. Now, just as there's no moment in the day, no place in my day where I am not a spouse to my wife, so there is no place I drive no place I go, no room I stand in, or activity that I engage in where I am not a disciple of Jesus. Whether I'm in a staff meeting or I'm in a prayer meeting, I'm in those meetings as a disciple of Jesus. Whether I'm digging ditches or making lucrative business deals, I'm digging and I'm dealing as a disciple of Jesus. You get the idea. Now to be clear, we commit ourselves to such a life, not simply that we we can fill up the pews for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday but because so much of life, personally and globally, ride upon it. Let me give you just one example of what I mean. See, when the Apostle Paul describes this new reality that's been brought into this world through the life, death, resurrection, and teachings of Jesus, he gives one of the most mind-blowing statements of the first century Roman world. In Colossians 3, Paul launches into the implications of our new life in Christ. He says, since you have been raised with Christ into this new life of his kingdom, then live it out in very real and earthy ways on earth as it is in heaven. So he says, don't live with rage. Don't live with lust or greed. Don't lie about each other or slander each other, etc. Not simply for moralistic reasons, but because such things are not characteristic of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says this about what the life of renewal implies. Now catch this. In Colossians 3.11, he says, In that renewal, in other words, in that reconfigured life that was made for shalom in relationship with God, he says, In that life, in that renewed life, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and is in all. In Galatians 3, Paul added, there's also neither male nor female in Christ. Now, this may be unremarkable to our American 21st century minds, but in the first century Rome, wow, this this kind of oneness and radical leveling of social status was absolutely unheard of. He basically blows to pieces the very common practice of organizing the world in hierarchies of value that separate, that divide people from each other. In other words, they organized life that shredded the shalom that God intended. You see, in Rome, males were higher than females. Greeks were higher than Jews. Free people were higher than slaves, etc., etc. And as Paul says that in and through Christ, all that distinction, that tearing apart of status and value is absolutely obliterated. All that tearing of humanity based on status and ethnicity and gender is being made whole because of the kingdom of God has now come through Jesus Christ. And we Christians are to model that great obliteration and bring together in shalom what humans have long torn apart. Great stuff, right? However, when the church failed to live out that shalomic reality that Christ inaugurated and created between people, we ended up moving towards destructive racism, slavery, and sexism. Think of the lost family, think of the lost lives of the families destroyed, wars started, people oppressed and enslaved because the disciples of the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, chose to ignore these sentiments by Paul. Or imagine it this way. Imagine what a different world we would have today if the people of God, the people of God chose to live into just those few words, those few verses. By Paul in Colossians and Galatians. World history would be entirely rewritten. Folks, look straight up. In some ways, discipleship really is a matter of life and death. Brothers and sisters, we don't simply emphasize discipleship here because we want you to pack our churches for an hour or so on Sunday but because this is where human well-being is best experienced, because this is how lives and families and communities and workplaces and all full societies will be transformed. As N.T. Wright put it, the disciple of Jesus is the coming attraction to the inevitable wholeness God is now creating. The church is to demonstrate the signs of new life, which are the genuine anticipations of the new age breaking in already. You know, I think Jesus emphasizes living as a disciple as basic to the Christian life is because without such, scenes like Isaiah 61 and Colossians 3 are just a pipe dream. Remember in Isaiah 61, it's said that the mission of the Messiah, the anointed one, was to turn ashes into beauty and despair into praise." That sounds so picturesque, so poetic, doesn't it? Somebody cue the rainbows. It really sounds sweet. But look, let me get real with you. Do you know how difficult it is to love some folks who are in ashes? Like someone who's a a drug addict or an alcoholic and struggles frequently to recover? Do you know how big a financial sacrifice we're gonna have to make, or, 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 or the time that we're gonna have to spend to actually see the destitute restored to where God wants them? Do you know how much wisdom it's going to require to help someone move from despair into praise or how much patience we're going to need to help those in deep relational divides to experience God's intention for relational wholeness? In other words, I cannot afford to be a mere church attender or some kind of dilettante of the Christian life and expect to see more of God's mission go forward through my life. I must step into the mode of life where I regularly walk with others towards greater love for Christ and greater likeness to him. A mode of life where I can find the wisdom and the skills and the the guidance I need to live out my place in God's mission. If you're not meeting with folks who who do that, then start in a few weeks. When we start Alpha, join an Alpha group. And, and, And if you don't do that, if you're already meeting with others, then challenge each other this year in 2022 to go deeper into the issues I'm talking about. Okay, so what else can you do in light of such a big, spectacular vision and call before us? A lot of things we can talk about. I'm just gonna bring up two things. Besides meeting with others, try this as well. Rethink your smallness. I know this big vision I just laid out seems way too big. And and when we just look at ourselves, like, "Ah, gosh, who am I? I'm just a small individual. But take heed of this African proverb. I love this. It says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent the night with a mosquito. Trust me, I know what that means. (laughs) We all have opportunities in small ways to bring more of God's kingdom into this world. Let me give you a personal example. The other week, I'm walking my dog. I just always walk my dog. It's a normal routine of my life. And I'm walking my dog down a street where a few homes in my neighborhood were greatly affected by those heavy rains we had last month. And as I walk by these homes, several of those people from the homes were outside talking to each other. So I stopped and I said, hey, how are you guys doing? What's going on? And, and as they described the events to me, I asked them, well, look, how can I help her? Maybe my church can help. We talked about that. And then I, I said, well, look, you know, at the very least, I'm going to be praying for you guys. And then all of a sudden, this woman says, oh, great, we can really use prayer. And she calls over her daughter and her friends, and we all gather right there in the middle of the street, right there in the middle of the street. We all gather in a circle for prayer. And suddenly, my normal routine of dog walking turned into a kingdom opportunity. And then later on, it even led to either other small but helpful acts of shalom for those people. Now, did that encounter shift the rotation of the earth? No, not at all. But it was a small way to say, you are noticed. Your pain is our concern. Your well being is God's desire. You know, writer Sally Koch once wrote Great opportunities to help others seldom come, but small ones surround us daily. So be sure to look each day for those small opportunities that surround you. And finally, let me offer this. This is the last thing I want you to consider for 2022 reframe the world with a sense of divine hope. Why do I say that? Well, we American Christians, we can be pretty myopic. Sometimes we feel that as America goes, so goes the world. And if it looks like the kingdom of God is a bit anemic here in America, well, then it must be anemic everywhere. That kind of myopic myopic pessimism can blind us to the advances of God's work. You know, I looked up online, what are the top issues for 2021? These things were mentioned. Oh, the various riots, COVID mutations, controversy over vaccines, natural disasters, the border crisis, the Taliban coming back in control, et cetera, et cetera. And with all this stuff, this crazy stuff going on, Christian pastors and prophets flooded the Twitter sphere and Facebook and YouTube and podcasts with dire warnings that these are the signs of the end of the world. And let me tell you, when the Red Sox beat the Yankees in the playoffs, I started wonder if they were right. But you know what? what no one mentioned that was happening in really big ways in 2021, it was this, the advancement of the kingdom of God. How about you, when you look at our world, do you notice these advancements? Let me just share a couple of things before I finish that might underscore my point. Discipleship is increasing in places we never thought possible in my lifetime. You know, in 1979, when I was a college student, there was an estimated 500 Christians that converted from Islam um, in the country of Iran. Just 500. Now, 20 years ago, that number was about 5,000 or so. Today, there is between 800,000 and a million people who are Christians in Iran. We're talking Iran, which means more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than the entire 13 centuries before it. That is massive growth. That is a massive advancement of the kingdom of God. In fact, in Asia, the Christian faith has grown at twice the rate of the population. One sociologist of religion, Gong Yang, noted this. By 2030, just 2030, China, China will have more Christians than any other country. And that's not all. In just the last 15 years, Africa has seen a 51% increase in the number of professing believers. The point is, the kingdom of God is advancing big time. Did you notice? Now, how about shalom? In terms of shalom, oh my gosh, all kinds of great things have been happening for decades. For example, some experts estimate that in our world, about 200,000 people leave extreme poverty every. Not just every month or year, every day. And and the global poverty rate is now lower than it's ever been in recorded history. World Bank Group president Jim Yong Kim calls stats like this, one of the greatest achievements of our time. Did you notice? Now, great advances also hold true for child mortality in the world. Prior to the 20th century, 46% of children died before they reached adulthood. That's almost half before they reached adulthood. Now, however, only 4.6% die before the age of 15. Do you think that this may be an act of God's gracious hand upon the world? Look, the point is as much as our world is messed up and it is messed up, God is still on the move and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. My question is, do you see him prevailing? Or have you gotten snagged in a myopic cynicism towards the expansion of the purposes and the power and the values and the character of the kingdom of God in our world? Look, I'm not trying to drum up some sort of saccharine optimism here. A kingdom-oriented person sees clearly the hard realities of human existence, yet at the same time, they will not be imprisoned by them. Folks, if you don't know by now, cynicism can never advance the mission of God, and it will often keep us thinking our best days are behind us. And my friends, biblically speaking, that is a lie. And it's a lie because the kingdom of God continues to break in. And because it does, the best is yet to come. Are there tough days ahead as well? Absolutely, the enemy is gonna fight us fiercely every step of the way. Nonetheless, as bad as things get, retreating to normal is not God's goal. He is a God whose normal means multiplying, multiplying disciples even in the face of a pandemic and having those disciples become agents that demonstrate the new shalomic life of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So what's God saying to you? Is there something he wants to say, something he wants to do, or something he wants to change? Let's pause for a moment and pray. Just bow your head with me for just a little while. Lord Jesus, this is very exciting things that we read in your word, but it's also so huge. And we feel so small in light of such a great and wonderful mission. So I pray, Lord, that you would infuse a sense of, of, of courageous, soul-filled, holy spirited or, oriented optimism in the hearts and minds of us as a community. So that in 2022, we pick up the mantle, we pick up the responsibility to march forward in that particular place that you've called us in your great and wonderful mission. Lord, I pray that you would equip us with all that is necessary, all the wisdom and skill necessary to be your agents of shalom in a very torn and shredded world. Help us, Lord, to see what you see and desire what you desire. And for those of you who have never completely given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you now to step into the full life of disciples. Just repeat this prayer quietly in your heart as I say it. Lord Jesus, I need you. Forgive me for not being fully committed to you. Lord, come and fill my life. And as much as I know how, I give my life fully to you. And it's in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, even though we're not meeting in person, we will have a live communion service right after I give the blessing. Just hit the link in that chat area if you want to join us. And for those of you, by the way, who gave your life to Jesus when I prayed before, just hit that button in the chat area because we would love to celebrate with you this momentous moment, this kairos moment for you as you've given your life to Christ. And don't forget, to go get your bread and wine or bread and juice ready for communion. Now, for those of you who cannot attend that communion time on Zoom, then please receive this blessing. May you know and experience the deep love and shalom of God in your life and in your relationships. And may he fill you with all the strength, power, and wisdom that you will need to live into his awesome mission as a disciple of Jesus. And may you know the joy of being God's agent of Shalom in every area of your life. For from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be all the glory. Amen. Aloha, folks, and we'll see you again next time. Happy New Year.
0: The Shalom of God comes with us being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of others as we live purposefully in this world. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find first press sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. Now, because of the recent rise in COVID cases and some illness among First Prez staffers, First Prez has resumed online worship services only. These services happen Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. And again, there will be no in-person worship for the time being, only online. Sign up for First Prez emails for links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you. Happy New Year. Stay safe. And thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.